Welcome to the Do One Better podcast, where every week I focus on philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi, and I hope you'll enjoy the podcast. Keep on listening if you want to improve the world. It's a pleasure to have a good friend of mine, Sandra Giuliani, on board for today's episode. Sandra is the head of the Jacobs Foundation. I think formally his title is Managing Director but I think we could look at it as chief executive or the person running the foundation. The Do One Better podcast, it's about philanthropy and sustainability and social entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, we're going to try to shed some light into Sandra's exciting work and the work of the Jacobs Foundation and, and hopefully inspire our listeners to be a little bit more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability and also be social entrepreneurial as well. Sandra, thanks so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and the Jacobs Foundation. Well, ciao Alberto. It's a pleasure to be, to be with you on this podcast. Well, um, the, the Jacobs Foundation is a foundation based in Switzerland. We are now 30 years old this year. Um, and originally, we, we are linked to the Jacobs Group, which was um, at the beginning into coffee, which is still a brand, Jacobs Coffee, mm-hmm. and, in cho- and in chocolate. Um, at that time, Jacob Suchard, that you would still know the brands, probably Toblerone, Suchard, and so on. So this was the history of, the, of um, Klaus Jacobs, the entrepreneur. And then 30 years ago, he decided to allocate a big portion of his wealth um, and fortune into a foundation, which is the Jacobs Foundation. And since then, we are only dedicated to one mission and to one um, target group, and these are children and youth. So we are... Okay. Uh, Child, child and youth only foundation trying to improve the learning conditions of children and youth worldwide. That's fascinating. And you operate, so you're a Swiss foundation, but yes. uh, I imagine you, well, I, I know you operate outside of Switzerland as well. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your footprint outside of Switzerland. Yeah. So as a foundation, um, if you invest in child and youth development, of course, Switzerland, um, there are some fields where you could invest in. Um, I'm just making that a small, small point on Switzerland. And um, we try to look where can we add the value as a, as a foundation into a w- quite well-developed country, also on learning um, side. And we decided there to focus exclusively on the early years, so okay. zero to four. Um, because we just felt that we know from research um, that this is by far the most important um, developmental time of, of, of children and youth. Mm-hmm. And so the, the first four years. And secondly, Switzerland is, this is probably the one of the few, um, let's say, educational brackets or channels where Switzerland is really weak. Um, we have not an early education policy like many other years. We invest quite little public money in the early years okay. um, because of a rather conservative view on families where women should rather stay home um, and not be so much engaged in, in professional work. Um, and this is where we felt we can really add something to Switzerland by, by, by supporting the development of, of a policy for the early years. So this is why we are fully and only focused on the early years in Switzerland. And then based, and then based on that, of course, um, you don't want only to invest in Switzerland. You would like to improve the learning conditions of children worldwide because there are many places where you can't aid much more. And we were thinking and reflecting in the last 10 years, how could we best support the learning of children and youth? We started with funding a variety of projects from Bhutan and to, to Uganda, to Argentina, to Nicaragua, 
um, even in, in Eastern Europe to see where can we support projects that have really an important um, contribution to either literacy normality of children, social and emotional skills, vocational training, and so on. We then just realized that by spreading our butter so thin, we may fund good projects, mm-hmm. but we are too far away to assess really the impact of these projects, to really assess if they are embedded in, in, in a good context. And we have no way to add a critical contribution to these projects beyond money, which right. is the funding. Um, and we, fo- we felt that this is, in the aspiration we have, this is too little. We, we realized that we would like to add more than just money to this um, whole entrepreneurial and, and philanthropic work we have. And then the logic con- conclusion is that you try to focus. You try to find the niche where mm-hmm. you have a unique position where you can do something different than others could do. Um, and this process led us to fully focus our international work on one country, um, which is the Ivory Coast. Right, right. And that's really where you're, outside of Switzerland, the Ivory Coast is your core focus. Exactly, exactly. One of the logic consequences then was also that if we focus only on one country, we would like to have a better understanding and presence in this country. And mm-hmm. one of the other logic consequences then was that we opened an office. Um, and so we have now a second, it's not not really, um, um, we have the headquarters in Switzerland, but we have quite a strong office in Ivory Coast with 10 employees um, fully dedicated to promote our work um, in the Ivory Coast. Fascinating, really. Now, one of the things, I know you and I have known each other for about maybe four years. Yeah. I remember first, first met at the World Bank, I think, quite a while exactly. back. Exactly. And always very insightful conversations. And one of the things that I've always found incredibly interesting about your work and, and the work of the Jacobs Foundation is your drive for knowledge or to drive the field mm-hmm. of teaching and learning and early childhood education forward. And I know you have quite a robust and broad portfolio of fellowship and scholarship um, mm-hmm. programs and um, with some truly outstanding academic institutions as partners. Tell me and tell the listeners a little bit more about that, because I think it's truly fascinating. Mm -hmm. And with pleasure. So what I said regarding um, Footprint, this is really where we try to concretely um, support and change the learning conditions of children and youth. And another component of the foundation, maybe the basis of the foundation, is that we would like to promote insights in how children learn best. Mm -hmm. So basically the global research on learning. Uh, because we feel that um, only by really having and the, the, the most um, accurate and best understanding on how learning um, um, happens in a child, how the brain develops, how the, the genes play in that, how the, the environment plays into learning, why did we have so vast learning differences um, with children, only by understanding these core mechanisms, and we can then really come up with meaningful programs. Mm-hmm. So be- beyond our concrete footprint in Switzerland and Ivory Coast, we have quite a strong global research agenda. Um, we used to, to be 30 years ago, uh, only research-focused foundation. Okay. Um, and so this is in our core DNA. We are rather an academic animal, if you'd like to look at us from that perspective. Um, and the question is, how could you best support global research, which is in our field and um, the learning sciences? And one way to go is to dock on an institution so that you choose an academic institution you feel they are best positioned, be it Oxford, be it, be it Harvard or, or University of Zurich or whatever organization. That could be one way to go about. 
The second way that go to go about is to just fund projects that you receive proposals and you have called for proposals and then you fund the projects you feel are most interesting. And the third way um, that we developed in the last five years is that you are not going for institutions, you're not going for projects, but you go for people, for mm -hmm. persons. Um, and you, you, you support um, directly the career of young and middle, uh, middle um, career researchers um, that they can pursue their, their, their work independent of the academic institutions they're working in, mm -hmm. independent of a specific project. So the history of our research work is really we started with institutions, then we um, went into the project funding, and now we are into the person-centered funding which in our words, we call it the Jacobs Research Fellowships, and where we award every year 15 fellowships um, worldwide to the best um, young talents in the field of the learning sciences. And then we support them three years in their career with unearmarked funding so that they can use this funding for whatever kind of work they would like to do. The advantage these um, young researchers have is we are quite quite a strong research funding in learning sciences. We're quite known in that field. And mm -hmm. um, so being a Jacobs Research Fellow is quite a strong push for their careers because we acknowledge them right. and their, their talent. We choose about, we have a, um, a funding rate of 3%. So we have about 500 applications and out of them we choose 15. So this is quite prestigious to, to be awarded. So that's one, you really give a boost to their careers. Um, and secondly, they have the unremarked funding. And thirdly, they are included into the foundation kind of a second belt around our staff. We really interact very intensively with them. We invite them to conferences, to workshops. They have residencies at our facilities. So we really can build up a very strong relation exchange with these researchers, which then again helps us very much to bridge the link between research and practice. Because by trusting and knowing these individuals and working together with them and them understanding the work we do in Switzerland and Ivory Coast, we find ways to connect their research agendas with our concrete programs and projects. That's quite fascinating. That is amazing. And I imagine you have a nascent, or maybe not so nascent, alumni family of fellows who have been with you and who have gone on to do wonderful things later on in their careers. Yeah, well, I would say we, we funded in 30-year research, so we have a very big alumni group, mm -hmm. but we didn't really trace them and, and nurture that, um, that relation. So uh, I would say since five years, we take this really serious. So our group is now growing. It's still not in the thousands, but in the hundreds. Um, and I think this is what will um, hopefully also help um, the foundation in the years to come to really um, nurture and, 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 and capitalize and from, the, from these investments I and mean, from these relationships we've built up. Because it's different if you ask um, a researcher for his opinion, if you contact him the first time or if you have been working together for 20 years. So I think it's really that this should be a strong basis of the further thematic academic development of the foundation. Absolutely. And these um, these fellows, uh, these individuals, talented individuals, and it's yeah. a highly competitive program, they can apply irrespective of where they might be, irrespective of what country they're in, irrespective of what academic institution they're, they're connected with. Absolutely. Is that correct? So they just apply to Absolutely. you directly. Um, we have a call for proposal always at the beginning of the year. 
Um, and this is very broadly distributed through many different um, science um, groups of, of scientific organizations. So it's globally open to everybody. Um, it's, it's open depending on, so they don't need to be in a specific academic institution. They have to have a PhD plus seven years, more or less, depending mm -hmm. on if it's an early or a mid-career. And um, the, also the discipline is open to all disciplines. So you, we have people from the economics, we have more people from the, from the medicine studies, we have people biology, genetics, we have people from developmental psychology, of course, where we are most mm -hmm. strongly embedded um, from, um, from the whole um, education science, pedagogy. Um, so it's really broad. It's really broad. And this is what we'd like to know and have because learning is not looked at from one discipline. This is really an interdisciplinary task to bring these people together. Absolutely. I imagine that there's no shortage of fields that can look at early childhood education and education in general. You can, like you said, you can tackle it from economics as you can from teaching and from health and from nutrition. Absolutely. 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 Besides that fellowship, you seem to have quite a broad portfolio of so I noticed there's a, a social entrepreneur fellowship, there's a yeah. young, young scholars program, uh, in addition to the research fellowship program, there, there are life, yeah. life fellows. Tell us a little bit more about that, because it seems like yeah. there's no shortage of, of, of ways in which somebody can engage with you. Well, thanks for asking. I think this is the, the next step, because um, after um, having seen in the research field that it is a great way to go about with working with individuals, and we were looking into, well, um, it's not just an interdisciplinary question, child learning, it's also an intersectorial question. Mm -hmm. So you're not only coming from academia, um, you can look at it from a business perspective, you can look at it from a policy perspective, you can look at it from a communication perspective, you can look at it from, from a practical um, and teaching um, perspective. So what we are now building up is an extended fellowship in all these sectors I just mentioned. So to have um, young talents um, in their careers doing an MBA in Harvard or Oxford or, at, or here in St. Gallen, um, having people start studying um, um, policy, educational policy in institutions, um, having people doing their, um, their journalist career and wanted, wanting to learn more about learning and, and, and development of children. So we try really now cross-sectorially to have tailor-made offerings to, to young people in their, in, the, in their career development. And with that, really, as I mentioned before, with the research, is kind of building a network of, of people that care about learning and children right. that are interested in, in seeing the perspective of the others to enrich their own perspective. Um, and with that, really building up a field of, we call, you could call them bilingual mm -hmm. um, um, professionals in, in learning. Um, and, and child development. And I think this would, in our view, be important for the field that we have this bilingual way or trilingual way to looking at it from different perspectives. And for us as a foundation, this is really, as I mentioned before, kind of the second belt of our staff. We are quite a small foundation. We have about 20 people here in Switzerland and 10 I mean, Ivory Coast. We will not grow in terms of staff. I have an unwritten rule that I cannot have more staff than fit in the house, and the house is full. And the house is full. So um, I think this is the staff size we will always have and not more. So the question is, how can we work with a group around this core staff that would like to exchange and interact with us? And we really believe that this talent network that we are supporting and nurturing around us will be 
um, 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 support of our work and also keeps us young and fresh because um, you know from philanthropy also from from uh, many foundations to be very honest and to be critical we are probably not the organizations with the most fresh blood coming in okay. and because working in a foundation is a great thing to do people rather like to stay in foundations which is great but maybe you don't have so much fresh insights and some so much challenging questions on the way you work um, because everybody likes you because you fund projects and you don't have really um, a market that responds to you so it could be quite easy to lay back um, and hide a bit before um, behind your comfort zone and i think having a group of young people around you that can challenge you that can bring in new thinking new ways of looking at our work we hope that this keeps us a bit fresh and dynamic. <laughs> That's amazing. Now you say you say you're a fairly small foundation, and you mention you know ten people here, twenty people there, but you're not that small. I mean, I think financially, from what I recall, in terms of your grant making and your your balance sheet, tell us a little bit of it. It's 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 a it's a serious operation. Well, um, it depends how much I would like to impress with numbers. Um, <laughs> if um, it's if if I'm coming from the rather um, not impressive side and I say we are quite small with about 20 people working for us um, something in the middle is our operating budget which is about 40 to 50 million US dollars and then the endowment this is pretty big and it's about 6 to 7 billion US dollars at the moment depending on, on the shares how they develop on the markets um, of the organizations we invest in billion dollars with a B billion B with a right. B yeah um, as a Swiss foundation, we are not um, pushed so much in, in, in like in the US um, to spend 5% on the endowment. And this mm-hmm. would make us then quite, quite a huge foundation if we would do that. But we believe, and I think this is very important on the credo of the, of the group, um, Klaus Jacobs um, and decided that he would bestow his, his wealth to the foundation, but that he would like to keep his family um, still very entrepreneurial. So the family is still driving the business mm-hmm. and, and, and they would like to grow the different businesses they invest in. At the moment, there are three main businesses they invest in as major um, um, shareholders. One is Barry Calibout, which is the biggest cocoa, biggest cocoa sourcing and chocolate producing company of the world. Mm-hmm. This is also the reason why we chose Ivory Coast as our second footprint place. And uh, the second one is they are building up a global um, European leading um, chain of, of dentists, a dentist chain okay. called, called, called Colosseum Dental. Um, and the third one, this is rather a new acquisition, now only about five months old, um, is that we are the main investors and shareholders of Cognita, which is a global private school chain. Yes, so I the remember fam- reading about that. Yeah, so the family still would like to be very engaged in, in these businesses and, and grow them. And this is why we don't want to, to take out too much um, cash out of the group to make sure that, they, that the group can still be entrepreneurial, very successful. Um, but with the, with the earnings um, and the profit, we then fully fund our, our philanthropic activities. That's very interesting. I think uh, it's, it's also very interesting that you're such a lean operation because you, um, with, you know, with an organization with a $50 million operating budget, you would think the number of staff, the headcount, might be a little bit higher than what you have. Um, just on, on spending money, um, I mean, you can spend $50 million with one person if you dedicate it to one global organization. Sure. So I think it's always the question of the business model you have, of your operating model. What helps us is that we are, in terms of um, headcount, is 
um, one one investment we have or one big field of activity I've not talked about is that we are the main trustees and funders of a private university, which is called the Jacobs University mm-hmm. Bremen. Um, so this helps us in getting some money out um, quite quite efficiently. And we have a funding of 10 million um, US dollars per year to the Jacobs University, um, which um, which is the, the only full-fledged private university um, in continental Europe, English-speaking, campus-based, highly international. We have 1,400 students from 120 nations, um, so probably one of the most um, international intercultural places to study in Europe. Right. Tell us a little bit, so the university, you've been with that for quite a while? And the university basically um, is 15 years old, so it's a very fresh university. Okay. It was an initiative from the federal state in Germany. They wanted to see if they could build up kind of a Harvard-Stanford model for, for continental Europe. Um, and the first big funder and supporter was Klaus, Klaus Jacobs um, with a donation of 200 million euro 10 years ago. Um, and in that situation, then the university decided to take over the name um, of the main supporter. And this is why since um, this since 10 years, it's called Jacobs University. Before it was called International University of Bremen. And it's really a place to innovate higher education. So it's really um, very interdisciplinary, very intercultural, very research-led. So you um, doing your master's or your bachelor, you're really heavily involved with all the different, um, I would say, academic processes. So um, we're quite proud about the quality of education the university can deliver. And many students come from developing countries. About 50% of the students are from from developing country context. How... um... In terms of the admissions, it's it's completely separate from the fellowship programs that you have. Yeah, yeah. Is that correct? It's also run completely outside. So it's not our university. We are just one of the board members. I so see. it's run completely independent. Um, it's a neat blind admission. So they um, every student with academic high quality can will be accepted. And then, depending on his financial possibilities, there are different ways of, of, of financing his study. What we, however, do with the... Um, fellowship, and that's that's a good link, thanks Alberto, is that we select every year five extraordinary students which have links to child development to be part of our alumni and, and in Jacobs Network. So this is the way we try to link these two streams. And in terms of the university connection, this this university, but also, I know you've done some work with, with leading uh, centers of excellence. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the relationships you have with with other universities, maybe in the States, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. that connects with perhaps having people on residential periods or executive yeah. education. or Because, yeah. again, I think there's just so much that you're doing in that space that's worth um, exploring and expanding on. There are two different ways. Um, one is, um, I have not talked about that, but maybe just to mention, if you say academic institutions, we have quite a big investment in the University of Zurich, okay. um, where we, we jointly have um, a Jacob Center for Productive Youth Development at the University of Zurich. It's half-funded from the foundation um, and half-funded from the University of Zurich for a, pe- um, for a period of 25 years. Um, and we have their different chairs for, for economics, for, for psychology, for sociology, for medicine. Um, and this should really be one of the strong 
um, globally inter interdisciplinary um, um, centers for child development. So that's one. Being in Zurich, knowing the University of Zurich is going in that direction, we wanted also to, to show that this is an important place for child development in Switzerland, in Zurich. So this is our um, full institutional engagement we have in that sphere um, in Switzerland. With the other academic institutions, we don't have on the research side a direct privileged relation um, to, to universities in Switzerland or US or, or other countries. We rather have most of our fellows that come from these institutions, of course. Mm -hmm. um, what we have, however, in the field of business schools, um, MBAs, as I mentioned, that we have this fellowship on MBA students, there we are not known for being an organization supporting um, and students doing an MBA, wanting to have um, a, a mix between social entrepreneurship and philanthropy and business development. Mm -hmm. So we if we would run a call for applications, we would not receive the most talented people applying it to us because they would not know us. This is different in, in, in research because we were well known in that field. So we decided to, in a first step, go through academic institutions to build up our knowledge and our expertise and reputation in that. Um, so at the moment, we work with Berkeley um, on, on an MBA fellowship program, and mm -hmm. we work with MIT. Um, we work um, with, with um, the Sloan School. We work with Wharton, um, with Oxford, and with, with the, the high scale here in Switzerland. So there we chose to go through academic institutions in the first step to explore the market, understand it better and build up reputation. And I hope that in, I would say, three to four years, we understand this market well enough and they're well enough positioned that we could then run independently of these institutions and such programs which would open up possibilities to young people which are not a coincidence studying in this, in this university to apply for a fellowship at our foundation. Now, these are not just academic institutions, though. I mean, they are, you know, the benchmark of excellence. You know, the, whether it's Princeton <laughs> or, 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 or Wharton or Berkeley, these are really yeah. leading edge outfits. Is it difficult to set up these partnerships with these various leading edge universities? I would say yes. Um, well, it depends how much critical mass you bring to the table. Okay. Um, so we, we, we started with Berkeley. Um, and there it was quite easy because we started with um, three full fellowships um, for MBA students for um, consecutive over three years. So the, from scratch, we were the biggest um, funder for, for MBA, MBA fellowships. Also, Berkeley not been known to have too much um, um, private support. So this made us there a very key partner. Now that we are spreading the butter thinner and maybe we do two fellowships and not full full fellowships um, with Wharton or, or MIT, this looks different. Um, there we need to find a niche where it makes sense for them to cooperate. Um, and then we, we try to find out new ways that still is interesting for them. For example, with um, Wharton, we do a tuition postponement. So it's, mm -hmm. not, um, it's not that you do, um, that you fund the fellowship at the beginning, um, but that you, when somebody um, has finished his MBA fellow, his MBA studies, and would need to pay back his debt because he could not fund it his, himself directly, we would allow him and, and, and fund his debt back from our side. So this is just a new way, for example, to, to, to support somebody. Or we do startup 
um, um, grains for for students who would like to set up a social uh, social business. Mm-hmm. So you probably need to go into new fields where they don't have funding yet, so that you're still of value. Um, with the biggest brand, um, I don't want to name the name, but okay. with the biggest academic brand, um, we could not find uh, a solution because we realized we're just too small. Um, well, well, I can say it's, it was Harvard, and we just <laughs> with the with Kennedy School and also with the business school, we just realized we were just way too small, um, and we felt we don't add value now to try to do something. Then we rather let it be. Interesting, counterintuitive, and interesting. Yeah. And, se- and setting up these part these partnerships, I mean, do you pick up the phone and just call the right person out of the blue and say, "Hi, I'm Sandra. I'm here." Or what, <laughs> what's the mechanism for? I mean, I know how I I set some up in the past, but yeah. tell me your 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 story. How, how does yeah. how does one go about setting these partnerships? Which, which by the way, listeners who might be involved in in similar space may want to yeah. emulate somehow. Yeah. Well, um, we have quite a strong board. I need to say so. Um, uh, even though we are kind of a family foundation. We always um, build up on a very strong external board um, with people um, with network reputation and and knowledge in different fields. Um, So our board members, um, they have quite some strong contacts in the higher um, higher hierarchies of all these institutions. Um, So they helped us really with the first pitch and the first contact. Um, In some cases, and we went through our um, research partners, which were um, also prestigious and well-positioned in their organization, so they could help us. But I would say the strongest entry door is our board. Right. So we really make sure and take care that our board is well well networked and positioned in the fields we are active in. So that helps a lot, of course. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And besides yeah. the, the collaboration you have with universities, these partnerships, which are not only interesting, but also, I think, quite structured creatively, Tell us a little bit about the sort of relationships and collaborations you have with other foundations, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. some of which we have in common, we know in common. But I think it would be really useful. A lot of times when, when external stakeholders are looking at the philanthropy or foundations world, they think that it's very territorial, um, yeah. everybody doing their own bid. I know you collaborate very strongly with other foundations. So I'd love yeah. to hear a little bit about that. Well, um, I think this is key because at the end of the day, um, I, I have a mission, and, and the mission is to improve the living conditions of children and youth. And I need to make sure that I can get to this to this um, mission um, um, as effectively and as strongly as possible. So I cannot do that alone. It would be quite stupid to do so. So there are different ways. One is that you just do co-funding of projects, mm-hmm. um, which is a classical way of cooperation. You have a project you fund, um, and you ask somebody else if you would also fund. This, um, I think, many foundations do since long, and we also do that. Um, then you have intellectual partnerships, like I feel we had one also very strongly um, with you, yeah. Alberto, where you just exchange um, information, you, you you bring in ideas how you would set up programs, you, you, you network people, you connect people. This is something that is very undervalued. I think this is key so that you enlarge your network and expertise through peer exchange. So I think that's a very key one. And the third one, and I think this is maybe the the, the, the spe- more special one we have built up is, and now I come back to the Ivory Coast, um, we have really, and I just need to say, talk, talk uh, say just a s- short story about Ivory Coast sure. so that I can explain why. Um, 
I said that Ivory Coast is the only country of, of um, internationally with footprint. Um, Ivory Coast has 40% of cocoa production worldwide, so it's by far the biggest cocoa producer. Um, and I told that um, the holding, the group is invested in the biggest um, chocolate producer and cocoa sourcer, which is called Barry Kalim. So being somehow um, close to the field um, of chocolate and cocoa industry, um, we realized that um, the issue of child labor, of course, is a key, key issue and a concern to the industry. And the, the industry tried since years to tackle that, but they, they didn't really manage, to be very honest. Um, the new report will show that again. Um, and that they all had the feeling that learning and education needs to be a part of the solution, but didn't know how to really tackle that. Um, and so five years ago, um, being close to that, understanding the issues of the industry, we said, why are we not building up a private-public partnership platform in the Ivory Coast, where we try to link the interests and the agendas of the cocoa and chocolate industry mm -hmm. on a pre-competitive basis, so with all members um, of the government, who is driving the, the development and educational agenda, of course, and civil society and funders. So that's why we build up the program we call TREK, um, which is our initiative in the Ivory Coast, where we really try to link these agendas and jointly fund and support um, best practice um, and interventions in the field of early education, primary education, and vocational education. So when setting up such a platform, this is a big heavy lifting. This took us three years to build up the trust and the relationship with all these actors. Right. And once, and once we had it, we said, why are we funding it alone? Which would be quite stupid. Um, and we and we had a very strong focus on the primary education component, I would say. And then we asked, for example, the Bernard van Leer Foundation, who mm -hmm. is known to be one global leading foundation in the field of early childhood development, if they would like to drive the early childhood ag agenda of this TREK program. Um, and this is why we called it TREK program and not Jacobs Foundation, because we would right. like to have it really as an alliance. So BVL... Um, is now the core leading partner of the early childhood agenda of TREK. They Bern fund Bernard it together, the Bernard van Leer right. Foundation. So we do co-funding. Um, so we funded all the program together. There's about 20 initiatives. They steer it um, from, a, um, from an, um, let's say, a knowledge perspective and content perspective. So they steer a program of ours, which is quite interesting. If you sure. have another organization steering something you at the end of the day are involved in. Um, so that's what we do with them on early education. We ask the UBS Optimus Foundation, also Swiss Space Foundation, if mm -hmm. they would be interested in joining us. And we are now jointly funding a lot of the primary education work together with them. Um, at that time, we tried um, and were in, in, in strong um, discussions with the MasterCard Foundation, if they would be interesting, interested in the vocational training, entrepreneurship bit. The timing there was not on our side because it was just in the middle of the strong strategic reflection process. So we could then not materialize more than an intellectual partnership. Um, but this is just in a way that we said, if we build up something which we feel is of value, why not put it at the disposal and um, for other organizations to use it and fund together with us through this channel? Amazing. And tell me, so, I mean, it seems like a very complex puzzle. You have uh, co-funding and collaborative relationships with Bernard Van Leer, and I guess that's Michael Fiegelson who runs that, yeah. and Fils yeah. Costanza 
who's running UBS Optimus. That's on the foundation side. Then you have close collaboration with the government of the country itself and with stakeholders on the ground, both in terms of civil society and the corporate world as well. So yeah. that is not only, it seems very comprehensive, but it seems possibly the, the recipe in order to achieve long-term sustainable system-wide change. Is that a fair statement? Uh, that's our ambition and also our hypothesis we have in Ivory Coast. Um, I think that the, the, the issue is you need to be ready to invest a lot of time patience and human resources to build up these networks because they they only rely and function if you have a trustful relationship which between these actors is not a given um, so i think it's just um, it takes a lot of, of energy of passionate people to drive it this is why we have an office with 10 people in the ivory coast um, but i think once you get there i was just in january um, in, in the ivory coast where we had together with the blueprints institution with the Center of Universal Education, they have an initiative called the Millions Learning. Mm -hmm. And out of this Millions Learning, um, they have a second initiative they call the Real-Time Scaling Lab. So looking at how do you um, support um, scaling situations, sustainable scaling, um, educational scaling um, initiatives in a way um, that they can really be um, effective and impactful for, for, for the society. And they support us in our ambition in the Ivory Coast. And we had um, the, these workshops with the, the full group of, of early education and partners from government to World Bank to, to, to the, the companies, the civil society organizations, then in the primary education and in the vocational one. And this was the first time I really felt that we are not just talking about an ecosystem of partners. It's for the first time that I had the feeling this ecosystem is really evolving. It's not just Jacobs and BVL and, and UBS Optimus linking these partners. It's the partners linking themselves and starting to, to build up a joint dialogue, a joint agenda, a joint communication, which I felt is highly, highly powerful if this goes to the next stage. I think the key challenge for us as a foundation and for this initiative is um, how long are we the central point of it? Mm -hmm. I hope not too long. And how can we support these processes that they run independent of a philanthropic engagement of, of, of an institution? Because you should, from beginning on, lower, get the, the dependency as low as possible. So this is now the next stage of our engagement, making sure that we can draw back a bit from running the, the, the full platform to being a partner and the founder of the platform. And I think this is the work of the next three years to try to get this stable and running without a strong push from our side. Is, is, um, is impact investing any part of the conversation? Oh, now we go the, the full scale. Yes, sure. <laughs> um, we, um, well, we test something. Um, it's only in Ivory Coast where we say at the end of the day, and there are different pathways to scale and sustainability. And besides the government um, and the commercial one, um, meaning now with the coke and chocolate industry, there is really the key commercial solution in education, meaning by educational companies. And this is, of course, strongly linked to technology, educational technologies, mm -hmm. the digital world. Um, so we decided to... To, to support Ivory Coast to become really a marketplace for, for educational innovations. And we have there currently, I think, five investments, um, equity and loans and, and funds. 
and four small educational startups trying one is called Enesa, trying to get with mobile text message system, um, improving um, education in, in, secondary edu- in secondary education, in primary education. We have um, educational platforms, one is called Chalkboard, where you can push your educational messages through this channel to each commu- any community you have. can also be field workers or, or social workers or, or farmers um, and, and different kinds of initiatives. So yes, we are testing out impact investing, but I would not say from an investing perspective. Mm-hmm. So we are not expecting a big return. We rather would like to find different ways for social impact. And commercial can be a strong way to get to social impact. So this is why we, we chose to, to try and test this. And in two years, we will decide if this was an, an effective intervention and if we should try to streamline it for the full foundation or not. No, that's excellent. You know, if it wasn't because your schedule is so busy, we could easily stay here for another hour or, or two or three. Um, <laughs> well, it would be I, a pleasure. Yeah, so we're going to have to have you back. But I know that you have to run, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, let me ask you a couple of questions. No, let me ask you a couple of questions before you do run off. One is, how accessible are you? So if somebody's listening to this podcast and they think, yeah, that sounds really interesting, I want to find out more, or how can somebody get a hold of you? Through email, Twitter, what do you recommend? Um, so I'm I'm pretty accessible. Um, what what you mentioned, so LinkedIn, Twitter, um, email are probably the three channels I use most. Um, so you're happy um, to to share them through the podcast. Yep. So my email. Um, you w- will also fo- find all information of my webs on the website of the foundation. So the JacobsFoundation.org. So I'm there with my email. So easy accessible. Um, on Twitter, um, I can be followed. I just don't know right now my Twitter account. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but I'm sure you will, we will have yes. that. Yes, no, anyways. And the, we'll, the we'll, same for LinkedIn. What we will do anyways is for every episode, we have uh, a web page dedicated to the episode, um, which listeners can go and access. So that's on Ligi.org, so L-I-D-J-I.org, which is the website of the, uh, of the podcast. And what we're mm-hmm. going to do on that, webs- on that web page is we'll have uh, uh, key links to the resources that you've mentioned, so some of the fellowships and some of the research and, and programs that, that readers who might want to find out a little cool. bit more about everything that we spoke about today can get a hold of. Cool. And, um, and also any, any links and Twitter handles and so forth, we'll, we'll stick everything in there. So that'll be, we'll take care of that. And Sandra, look, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I know, as I mentioned to you many times, every time you and I speak, it's always very enlightening, uh, and I walk away uh, better informed. And so I think um, I think your insight here for our listeners has been invaluable, and I thank you very, very much. Well, um, um, just just back to you, Alberto. Um, this was really like a five minute thing. Um, you are <laughs> you, you, this should be this should be your future thing. Um, you're really. Um, just, uh, just listening to your voice to the way you see the communication, it was really a great experience. So um, um, I'm sure that will be more than just a small small initiative you're starting. I really <laughs> liked it. Really, oh, well, really, I let's, really liked it. Let's knock on wood for that. Um, but Sandra, look, thank you so much. <laughs> it was no, a pleasure. My pleasure. A privilege. Thank you. Take care. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast 
is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.